for April 30th, 2012, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 200. The podcast gotta have a code. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve for the 200th time. Here in the meat space and peeking the microphone on my little portable recorder here, uh, I'm Matthew Rather. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts uh, for the 200th episode in a room with uh, five, four other overthinking it, five other overthinking it regulars and two special guests for, um, uh, for this, our 200th episode, three years and 31 weeks, 21, 31 weeks. Plus or minus. Plus or minus. What's the P value? Plus or minus 10. Uh, three years and 31 weeks of uninterrupted podcasting since we, uh, since we went uh, weekly with episode number 13 entitled Crossing Sections Off the Map. Uh, not from the West Coast, from the East Coast. I'm Matthew Rather here in Boston, here with the panel. Panel! Here is your question tonight. You know that every anniversary, like a wedding anniversary, has a, um, an associated gift with it. Uh, I think the 75th anniversary is the diamond anniversary, right? Um, there, are actually, there are two different systems for this. There's an, old, there, there's an old and a new system for this based upon whether or not people will want to receive, like, you know, lavender-encrusted lace for their third anniversary, or they'd rather receive something made out of wood. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's kind of like there are seven wonders of the ancient world, and there are also seven wonders exactly. of the modern exactly. world. And, and you want to find a place to return all of them when somebody's given you. <laughs> you already have a second one. Where do you lavender. return lavender encrusted lace? Uh, I know a guy. Green <laughs> <laughs> <If>, and barrel. <laughs> if Lots the uh, return policies. If the anniversaries went all the way up to two hundred, what do you think the two uh, hundredth anniversary should be? Uh, first, uh, special guest, you've, you've heard her on the TFT podcast. It is uh, at, on Twitter. She's like Cognac, but here we just call her Cognac. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. 200th anniversary. Uh, I think it would be... I think it would be a leather face mask. <laughs> after 200 years of marriage, or any sort of 200 year anniversary, it's... It's it's you're at that extreme where you really need to keep things going. <laughs> spice things spice things up. And yes. uh, since the overthinkers in the room are imbibing, drink because Peter Fenzel is not first in the alphabet. Uh, Peter Fenzel. You know we keep wi- we keep widening the uh, the circle here. It's I'm going to start dropping like fly. This is like the only activity in my life where I've been first in the alphabet, and it's uh, it's starting to wane. All right. So the thing about 200, right, and, and we're going to look into some things, some, some reasons why 200 is special in our culture, and I want to bring up one, uh, which is that um, anniversaries are really about kind of taking something that, that you want to have more of and you kind of feel a little bit la- belabored by and, like, taking a moment to really acknowledge what you have, right? So, for example, like, if you were to say go out into the woods or into the Great Plains, right, and use your mighty hunting skills to kill, like, 20 buffalo all by yourself and just leave their carcasses uh, lying around the plains around you, surrounded by a dozen rabbits and a dozen deer. The cruel fact of life may come down upon you, but for 200, I think we should celebrate it, which is that you can only take... 
200 pounds of meat back to your wagon. That's the rule. In Oregon Trail, you can, you can, you can wipe the continental United States clean of, of quadrupedal life, and you can still only bring 200 pounds back to your wagon on any given hunting trip. Uh, I'm dysentery. Uh, you know what? You're actually immune to dysentery as long as you're hunting. You can leave the hunting on for, like, years. That's the secret. Exactly. That's the secret. So, yes, yeah, so I would say it's time to celebrate the 200 with 200 pounds of of buffalo meat specifically <laughs> although ra- if you do rabbit meat that's extra impressive excellent the uh, face mask anniversary and the buffalo anniversary uh, next on the podcast a special guest we have with us uh, you might know her on the forums uh, or in the comments as Gonzo she won the uh, sweepstakes that <laughs> you, you successfully decoded our secret messages with your decoder ring she, she played the overthinking it alternative reality game <laughs> that has been embedded in messages on the site for the last uh, for the last yeah. you know four yeah. years and uh, she's a winner of this game so uh, w- uh, what's it going to be 200 year anniversary alright so I feel like if you've been married for 200 years you've watched a lot of TV shows together mm-hmm. and so I think there's probably still some TV shows you haven't watched but that there are TV shows with 200 episodes so if Google serves me correctly I think the most appropriate TV show for this is Coach. The box set of the entire series of Coach has, if Google serves me correctly, 200 episodes exactly. So, one episode to commemorate every single year that you have been married. Although, the more romantic uh, anniversary, I think, for me would be 202. So, therefore, you can get the X Files box set. Wow. Personally, that's the way to mind. I think that would be sexier than Craig T. Nelson. <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> Just if you want to know the way to a woman's heart, the truth is out there. That's all we're saying. <laughs> it's Gobber. The answer is Gobber. <laughs> and and while while you're wearing your face mask, you can say Mulder. It's me, <laughs> Mark Lee. Next in the alphabet. Okay, if I'm married for 200 years. I'm gonna be well into our post-apocalyptic future. <laughs> Our post-judgment day future, which means, of course, I'm going to want nothing less than my own T-200 model Terminator. Uh, as best as I can tell, there's no uh, T-200 model Terminator in the official Terminator canon, but I just assume that it's powered by, what, you know, 200 years of marriage, just, like, unbridled resentment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hunter, killer, resenter, you know. It's a very efficient machine. Just gener- generating cold fusion from just the stored recriminations and arguments looping back in on themselves. Yeah. I don't know why you cry. I have a CPU run by forgotten birthdays. Uh, it's excellent at passive aggression. No, I don't want to wash the dishes all the time. Of course I love doing that. So it's, it's like a hunter, starer, like, do what you want it to do and not feel happy about it, robot? Yes. <laughs> Completely brought down by discussions about how to properly pack a dishwasher before turning it on. Yeah. Right. Anyway, this guy knows what I'm talking about. John Parrish next in the alphabet. What up? What up? What up? Woo! So I'm con- I'm convinced and didn't have time to interrupt people before the recording started that there is actually a 200th anniversary out there somewhere, but I can't prove it because obviously we're in the midst of things. So therefore, the 200th anniversary it- gift is the most suitable device for looking up the 200th anniversary gift, namely a smartphone. 
Ooh. <laughs> You're the person who gives the gift the person actually likes so that my scented candle looks like bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, full poop. Full poop. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> memories. <laughs> no, you actually, it's I like, shit. <laughs> you actually can say bullshit, but you can't say, well, now on, on, on like cable, you can say the S word, but you can say bullshit. Okay. Like on, on uh, Comedy Central without getting, without getting bleeped out. Uh, next in the alphabet, David Schechner, What's doctor. Up? Hello. Okay, so I, I think I went to a, like a similar place that Mark did in his calculations, right? So, uh, based upon modern medicine, uh, everyone's life expectancy is in fact increasing at the rate of about uh, one minute per hour, right? So, so for every hour that you're alive now, the probability of your living for a minute longer than you had at the beginning of the previous hour goes up to the point where within ten years, even in the uh, in the midst of Central Africa, the average life expectancy will be about fifty-five, which is you know the highest it's ever been uh, in human history. And so the probability that we're actually going to reach a point where, as a society, people will live to the age of, let's say, statistically speaking, two hundred thirty years old, so about uh, two hundred years after they get married. So still waiting a little bit to get still married. Still waiting, but, yeah. but yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, feeling around, playing the field. That's what birth down. control did. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we may not see it in our lifetimes, but but maybe our children could conceivably see it during their extremely long lifetimes. And knowing that, of course, uh, what is it, April 15th, uh, 2061 is the day that Zephyrin Cochran will fly the Phoenix uh, into our solar system and achieve warp for the first time. April, tax day? Yeah, that's something <laughs> that I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to get... Uh, yeah, I'm going to get corrected by that of the lawsuit. Well, if it's a Sunday, then you get two extra days, <laughs> That's right. which I always take advantage of every yeah. single time it comes around. <laughs> People do, you know, don't like the warp leap day. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that by, by the point that humankind has reached uh, a, a level of development where we can be married for 200 years, a nice antique sounding kind of gift will be dilithium. <laughs> it's going to be the dilithium anniversary. Yeah. Oh. 200 years, the so dilithium. It was a long walk just to get to dilithium. <laughs> Damn it, you're my doctor, not a dating consultant. <laughs> your, exactly. your crystals are going to fracture a lot. Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a prof comic. Yeah. Is that going to be a conflict free dilithium crystal? Uh, uh, I will tell you that it is when I sell it to you. <laughs> It'll be artisanal. <laughs> this is an heirloom dilithium crystal. So back uh, back on the podcast after a long, long hiatus, it's my fellow TFT podcaster, Ryan Sheely. Good to be back. Good to be back. I think, you know, what we're missing here in our calculations is that the 200th anniversary is actually a Roman uh, uh, anniversary. And so doing the calculation in the Roman numeral of the CC uh, <laughs> uh, anniversary, I think the uh, they're going to make you sweat by CNC music. <laughs> Is the gift that I give on this 200th? Because you gotta stay fit, <laughs> and that is the kind of uh, gift that would make you go. Hmm. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were gonna say that that you have to give the gift and then also carbon copy the gift to someone else. Yeah. So, I was gonna say like yeah. the gift was gonna be a book about email etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> right. CC's home when not to. Very important right. to say. Or be the dead gay grandmother on Gossip Girl. Uh huh. Ah. Or dies. Or she dies. Just one milliliter or something. All right, all right. Chill, baby, baby, chill, baby, baby. Wait. We have one more person. (laughs) Uh, And it is I, Matthew Rather. And since the 200 MeV is the the temperature of the quark-gluon plasma phase transition. Yeah, approximately. Approximately. (laughs) (laughs) Plus or minus, you know. A couple of electron volts. You don't write these things down. It's our anniversary. (laughs) 
<laughs> you look beautiful on that Tevatron, baby. You can't observe me while I'm moving. <laughs> I used uh, when we were younger. My, uh, my, my choice for the 200th anniversary is uh, the plasma anniversary. Nice. And so it, you, have to, you have to give matter in a completely different state uh, <laughs> to make it a decent anniversary present. Oh no solid, no liquid, no gas will do for the 200th anniversary. It has to have a changed face entirely into nope. plasma. No longer get kicks out of stripping yourselves of your clothes. Why not strip atoms of their electrons? <laughs> I just love the look that so, oh, someone will have on their face when they open up a box and see like the apparatus for a tremendously powerful magnetic field. Uh, and they're like, I know what's in this. That was what was in Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just like, no, it's, it's like a misleading box where it looks like it's going to hold a tremendously powerful magnetic field, but it really just holds a face mask. <laughs> so the reason the reason for this 200th anniversary that all the overthinking uh, overthinkingers are say you can tell we've been at it for a while tonight uh, all the overthinkingers are sitting around uh, a table together recording the podcast is that we were in town uh, this weekend for the third in what has become the annual overthinking it live uh, show a sold out extravaganza at Improv Boston's Geek Week, uh, where we uh, performed alongside other comedy acts. Uh, I explained at the beginning of our show that we are not a comedy show. We are an educational show uh, because we are an educational website. And so we gave not so much a a comedy act as a lecture with performative exemplars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everybody laughed. (laughs) Everybody got college credits after the... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Um, So uh, we we all uh, were there at Improv Boston last night for the Overthinking It live show. Yeah, it was really. Uh, <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Um, <laughs> I get, and one of the things we always do when we're performing in these shows is we always have like the presentational element, and then we always have some. Sort, we usually have some sort of content from the site that we, we talk about. That, so there's a new new content, there's kind of existing content, and then there's musical content because we observe the Aristotelian elements of drama, which necessitate <laughs> both music and spectacle as uh, required in these sort of theatrical performance. And because <laughs> we're not savages, that's why <laughs> so we've read our poetics and uh and, and we've also read what is the indian document of the Ras- the natya sastra the natya sastra so we perform the rasa for people so that they can experience the divinely inspired emotional states like the one that mark uh, inspired in everyone with his guitar work on uh, on uh, s- saturday night yeah so just uh, the, the, to make everybody feel guilty who wasn't able to come out to boston so in other words like 99.999% of our podcast you are the 99% <laughs> 1% of the podcast 0.1% right of the uh, we did a rousing rendition of uh, november rain uh, about the dark night uh, begins rises what the hell is that rises dark night rises the dark night strikes back the dark night strikes back yeah don't you remember the giant pile of yeast that was put on top of his body at the end of the second movie i remember not being able to watch trailers for it during passover <laughs> exactly. The Dark Knight and Robin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we did a, a, a song to the tune of November Rain about the new villain Bane. Yes. You can imagine all the fun rhymes we made with Bane, and uh, you know it rocked out. I think it's safe to say. It, uh, it brought the crap out of the place, actually. Mark, do you um, think we'll be seeing that on the website anytime? I, th- thanks for asking that, Ryan. 
<laughs> and once I get back from Boston to New York City, you know, back to civilization where, you know, we have Final Cut Pro and whatnot, um, I will, uh, you know, assemble the song and it'll be put on the, on the, uh, on the site as a video form for everyone's enjoyment. So stay tuned for that. I mean, I love these performative elements that we add to these things. Is even though the Bane piece, the Bane piece is not particularly like a, an immensely significant criticism of Bane. It can't be. There's only so much text that's involved. But when you have a group of people that sort of share a performative act together, there's a social function to that. There's like an ideological bonding. Uh, there's, an, not, there's, there's an ideological energy that you can derive from that social function. And I think that's sort of what we like to provide with the tone and the camaraderie of the work that we do on the site, where people read our articles and they comment on it. We get conversations going. We get people engaged. The point is, you love this stuff, we love this stuff. By loving it together, we can then explore it together, explore what it means, uh, and then ultimately take a whole bunch of steroids and get in a fist fight with Batman, which is pretty awesome. awesome. That is the most intelligent argument for a threesome that I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm just saying, look... (laughs) (laughs) Not until our 200th anniversary. (laughs) 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 He was during a WBOR fundraiser, actually. He just went to a weird place. Well, uh, also, just maybe I can toss this out there. I, I, I'll confess, I don't watch Gossip Girl, I don't watch Glee, I don't watch Smash, I don't watch Skins, I don't watch Friday Night Lights. I've never listened to a full uh, TFT podcast, and it was really cool to hear you guys out there talking about the stuff that you talk about on the TFT podcast. There's probably some listeners here who've never listened to the TFT podcast. You guys give like a quick and hopefully entertaining Rundown, because you know, if you start like going off, well, the, 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 TFT, the TFT podcast is a uh, is a longitudinal, multidisciplinary research, research initiative, yeah, yeah. <laughs> research right. program, right. 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 aimed at uh, aimed at deriving a unified theory of the effing teenager. Of the effing teenager. Yeah, okay. it's uh, the TFT podcast stands for these effing teenagers. Except we say the word on the uh, TFT podcast because the TFT podcast is is not rated. It's rated NC seven. And it also includes S for spoilers. <laughs> yeah, it also includes spoilers for pretty much everything you. Uh, and we won't say it on this pod. We won't say it on this podcast. But uh, I'm just trying to honor our anniversary. <laughs> but it, I'm making you happy during the TFT PowerPoint. <laughs> During the TFT PowerPoint segment, uh, uh, Ryan Sheely shouted out one of the most egregious spoilers that we've we've ever had on the Overthinking It podcast, and it was a very slow burn yeah, because yeah, yeah. you could people didn't know what there you was would, a ha 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 oh. <laughs> People were horrified, and so like, uh, so I have had the I've had the ending of Friday Night Lights spoiled for me, or the you know the later seasons because I've I've only started watching it. Uh, whereas Ryan's seen the whole thing. I think I've spoiled bits of um, uh, Game, uh, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. For you, so I, you know, I, I really caution you. It's, you know, it, it's a Nietzschean beyond good and spoilers, um, you know, <laughs> level of uh, level of podcasting. But we, um, we really uh, examine, you know, very deep topics in international relations, uh, uh, Lacanian psychoanalysis, political sociology, behavioral economics, using as our text. Uh, the the television shows Gossip Girl, Glee, and Friday Night Lights, as well as uh, sort of forays into uh, UK Skins and um, you know the occasional reference to other shows. Yeah, I mean the way that's evolved is interesting. I think that the first time, the very first appearance, actually, many longtime listeners of the OTI podcast have actually have heard at least one episode of TFT right. because 
that first emerged as a special episode or a po- podcast uh, appendix or addendum a few years ago because we, you, know, you and I got together, Matt, and just chatted. Uh, you know, we, 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 I think we made fried chicken, uh, and, and uh, the conversation turned as it always does to gossip. <laughs> why, is, why, is, why is it funny that he made fried chicken? Fried chicken is delicious. No, it's not. Fu- that, that's not. Fu- did I say it was funny? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I'm just. I'm just, I'm just I mean, it's funny in that it wasn't a risotto, which is. <laughs> Podcasting dish. No, no, see, yeah, no, no. The risotto is when you cannot podcast. When you cannot actually be there, you make the risotto. When you are there to contribute and and, and get the ideas flowing is is when you make a fried chicken. You fry a chicken. Um, and at the, at the time, I, I owned a deep fryer, and I had it in my house. So when I say I made you've fried got, chicken... You've gotten rid of the deep fryer. No, 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 I still have the deep fryer. It moved, <laughs> it moved from the East Coast guys, to Los Angeles. Guys, guys, we need to make it absolutely abundantly clear to the listeners which kitchen appliances you currently have in your home. So if everyone go around and list their Williams-Sonoma buy lists. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, I will start with the KitchenAid stand mixer. Uh, hey, John! <laughs> so, John, you and I used to be in a stage performance group for a long time, yes, video did. performance group. You've been out of the game for a little while. This was the first time I've seen you on stage in at least a year. Yes. Like what, how does this kind of show feel different to you than doing other kinds of performance? Well, that's a very uh, interesting question you've uh, you've sort of thrust at me, but I will I will dive right into it. It I mean, rather did joke about it being you know not a comedy show, an educational show, and you know while it still had obviously entertaining elements to it, I I think the I think the distinction is still pretty clear that we we don't aim to necessarily be funny. Well, I mean, we do throw in a couple of very obvious, you know, ha-has and, and gag lines, but we don't. We're not aiming for comedy initially. We're aiming at something insightful and interesting, and then we just happen to find comedy lying on the side of the road, and we, we scoop it up and, and take it you're with really, us. And you're supposed to call someone about that. <laughs> no, we scoop well, no. it up, take it home, make dinner out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in the deep fryer, in the deep fryer. Yeah. I'd chain it up in my basement. Oh. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, and, and there's... Have that up in your basement? And there's, something, cactus, right? <laughs> and there's something to be said for that being a, a source of genuinely innovative and original comedy. You know, arriving at something from an innovative and intellectual place. It's a very, it's a very cerebral type of humor, but it, it resonates with a Geek Week audience in particular. I mean, this is one of the best audiences we can do. In fact, this is the only audience we do this sort of live show for. Aside from you, our loyal podcast listeners, if we ever have another live, you know, meetup again, which, you know, could happen. We would, yeah, we, we'd love to, we'd love to do this. We had so much fun, we had so much fun doing the show. Another way of saying what John just said, I think, is that we didn't say anything in the course of the show that we don't believe is true. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There's something about the context as well. I think that especially in the TFT presentation, and also Pete did a dramatic reading of Docking J. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the Docking J, the Hunger Games Extended Universe uh, novel that he's begun. Based on the novels by Suzanne Collins. Yeah, based on the, uh, set, set in uh, the world, the nation of Pan Am's uh, uh, trucking and logistics industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that it was the, the, the combination of, the, of content tone and and sort of venue and subject matter combined to create uh, on the some hand, on the one hand there were moments where everyone was just like listening and saying oh this is very interesting mm-hmm. and then just like in delivery whether it's in the use of jargon or the or the function like the the, the comedy appears and so there is it's very interesting in that way mm-hmm. um, but that we're uh, like you say I think we're very sincere in in most of or most yeah. or all of the analysis which which is not the only way you can do a show like that yeah. like like talking about the festival 
as a whole, the kind of stuff that we're doing is becoming more widespread. More kinds mm-hmm. of people are doing the kinds of things that you can read about and overthinking it. Uh, I, I sat, I, I hosted a couple of shows that had a similar attitudes about intellectualism as ours, mm-hmm. but very different ideas of tone and very different ideas of how they come to their insights, right? Which was uh, Sarah Koski's uh, well, lecture on the werewolf virus, right? Like uh, she did a whole lecture on like what the pathology and specific genetic makeup of the werewolf virus yeah, would be. The, the epidemiology. Of the epidemiology of it. Yeah. Yeah. Not the pathology, the epidemiology of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it didn't have that same. It doesn't have a sense of whimsy as much. It was like it was presented as serious, and yeah. the joke was like it's not real, right? Well, like you know, we're also. I mean, we, we're we're far from the innovators of this particular type of humor. Oh, yeah. I think of like uh, like Tom Lair mm-hmm. uh, in the mid fifties was doing exactly this sort of like academic comedy routine mm-hmm. structured as academic lecture. Yeah. You know, many jokes that. You might not get unless you had some understanding of like calculus and the manifolds, yeah. or I mean, not not to, not just to continue patting ourselves on the back over because what, we are so because Tom Lair himself thinks of us as his children, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Tom, yeah. Well, there's and also sired one or two of us. Yeah, I'm just gonna throw that out. There. And there's also that wonderful Isaac Asimov academic paper. That's true about yeah. the the substance that dissolves like a small quantity of time before it hits water, uh-huh. and is right. And is then it, this he uses this uh, quality of it, this property of it, to extrapolate like batteries that can be used as. Pre- Predicting devices. Wow. Uh, and, and you see, like, it, there's a whole academic paper about, it's fake, of course, because he was a chemistry PhD, in addition to being one of the grandmasters of science fiction, about, like, uh, and this was presented in kind of an academic context uh, in, a, in a joke, as a joke, and he was actually called on it on his thesis defense. <laughs> like, can you please speak about the properties of this? And it would be like, like they, they'd set up a battery to try to determine whether a spaceship would crash or not, and then, like, they, they could never actually get useful information out of it, because huh. if they would cancel... The the ship because the trip because the thing was going to crash it would then fall off the table, right? right and then right, it would right. and so then oh okay it, it, this was going to happen anyway we don't really know and it was kind of exploring ideas of kind of determinism like the causality issue yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly well and then you know as the ship travels at near relativistic speeds causality itself breaks down based upon the observer's reference frame so right exactly yeah. exactly and then, I thought you were going to go for Ray Bradbury's famous academic comedic routine um, you know. People be colonizing Mars all like this. People, <laughs> people be colonizing Venus all like this. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, this guy knows what I'm talking about. I think, I, this I, professor I, of, of, of ontology. I, I, I think we've made the point that we like to play the game at sev- uh, on several levels at the same time. <laughs> you know what else plays the game on several levels at the same time? The television show Community. Yeah. Which we uh, segueing, sir. If uh, if from many cities across the three thousand miles of the United States, the overthinkers convene, uh, and you wonder what they do when they are together, the answer is they watch an episode of television's Community uh, and, eat, and eat barbecue, and, yeah. Yeah. which is not a risotto. <laughs> <laughs> eat, eat massive quantity. Yeah, eat super ma- genus non risotto. <laughs> massive quantities of meat and uh, and uh, drink together. So we um, we did we watched the uh, Law and Order Community episode, and since this is perhaps the only time in the history of the podcast where we have all experienced the same cultural <laughs> artifact, not not only uh, have we all experienced it, but we actually all experienced it in the same room. We thought that perhaps it would be an experiment to uh, uh, to uh, do for the podcast and talk about this fantastic episode of television. So I'll I'll leap in first. So. So, rather, this is something you and I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. that Community is, I think amongst all the shows on TV, uniquely good at 
meta references, at references to other forms of pop culture. That's that's sort of its strength, and it pulls that off really well. It pulls that off better than than any other show, and and is amazingly entertaining in doing that. My fear slash prediction is that there's only so far they can go with that before they've they've sort of drained the well dry. Like there's only so many you know exhaustive references of Tarantino movies or classic westerns or or, or, or my dinner with Andre. <laughs> yes. uh, wow. right. I should I mean, really watch this. Show. Yeah, they did a my dinner with Andre episode, David. Yeah. Uh, so there was Pulp Fiction and my dinner with Andre. Was, <laughs> which is impressive. That was the deep cut. That's, that's, that's the that's the double uh, that's the double uh, Andre right there. It's Andre. Andre. Bam! Give her the double Andre. <laughs> Wow. So, yes, that's that's impressive and there's a lot of pop culture out there to plumb, but after a while I have to imagine just from a just from an entertainment perspective that horse is going to get a little tired. And also, I mean, one of the entertaining things they've done is develop the relationships among the characters through the lens of pop cultural re- references, but I wonder how far that can go. So, I throw that out to the panel. Is there is there a limit to how far they can plumb this? Are they going to take it in a different direction? What are your thoughts? I think six seasons in a movie. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it um like well I I I think you're right that at a certain point you run out of hopefully not before syndication but at a certain point you run out of um uh you run out of things that you can can reference or at least well known things that you can reference. But I'd say that the community is also playing another game, which is that it works as a as a drama. I mean, kind of a whimsical drama, you know, very funny drama, but it also so, like, as a, as a bit of human storytelling about sort of people and their kind of problems and their hang-ups and their relationships with each other, it actually sort of continues to work continues to work on uh, that level as well. But I, I want to posit that there are, like, two levels of characters in community. There are the kind of fully human characters, and then there are the, like, the caricature characters. The Dean being, like, <laughs> the sort of biggest example of the the most caricature of characters. The, the grotesques. Yeah. Well, sort of, yeah, I mean, sort of. Um, I, you know, Pierce, Pierce was like this also, except that they spent a lot of season two giving him this sort of evil story arc about how he was expelled. And then you saw like into his family history and the like the, you know, tortured background. Um, the tortured background that he did, has. Did they do that episode in 3D just to make it appropriate? <laughs> like, we're going to add a dimension to this character. Whoosh. <laughs> Sounds like um, to do. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think that like the... I, I just I have a certain amount of faith in Dan Harmon and his storytelling, though not his discretion with Chevy Chase's voicemails, and the um, <laughs> you know the uh, the I, I think that like the the human storytelling is actually what carries the show with the the references to other popular culture works kind of piled on top of it as. Um, not exactly window dressing because it's integral, but as a, as a kind of access orthogonal to the, the main storytelling thrust of the show. Would they potentially do like a Doctor Who episode where after the cast has all gotten too old or too famous to do the show, where they're all killed and regenerate as different actors? Do, do you watch no. this show regularly? No, have they done that already? Uh, yeah. They, <laughs> there, actually is a whole, there actually is a whole Doctor Who plot that goes oh. through. Yes, it's not exactly um, a, a direct plot, but it's it's um, Troy and Abed's favorite show. It's Inspector Space Time, okay. which is a, a direct riff on Doctor Who. Um, but... To go on um, what Matt was saying, last week's episode kind of addressed this. It wasn't a direct uh, parody of anything, 
but um, it basically addressed all the interpersonal and intrapersonal relationships and where Abed um, and Annie, like in, inside the dreamatorium, um, where Abed, like, Abed and Troy usually live out all of their fantasies, Annie gets to join in this and discover exactly how Abed works and how his um, interpersonal problems, which is that he has basically no ability um, to empathize with people. Um, she tries to hook into, his, um, cut off the thing in his um, machine of his, um, the way that his um, fantasies in the dreamatorium work, and he actually short, um, short circuits <laughs> um, emotionally. And so the so the yeah. is like he can't, there's a limit to how he can exist as a character because he can't move past a certain point or no there's a limit to exist to how he can interact with others oh well, yeah and because I, I in some sense Abed is you know we could almost imagine a lot of the very genre parody episodes um, of Community I mean sometimes they uh, explicit, uh, exist explicitly in Abed's imagination um, such as the Claymation Christmas yeah. episode um, which was a like Abed was having a psychotic break of sorts um, and all of the characters in trying to stage an intervention were transformed into Rudolph the uh reindeer type uh, Claymation uh, figures and I think that I mean one way to think of this and, but even of these other the paintball episode or this Law and Order episode of you know one of the characteristics of Abed is that he is this sort of pop culture savant who only relates to other people um, through um, intense narrativization, intense sort of rela- right. uh, genre um, parodies. And, and the um, My Dinner with Andre episode is, is about this as well. Um, that they throw him a um, Pulp Fiction birthday party, and he throws himself a My Dinner with Andre um, <laughs> a birthday birthday party, um, and. Um, I think that what was what was happening in the episode that um, Gonzo uh, was uh, describing is um, uh, is is this idea of you know empathy itself as a form of narrativization and kind of like this kind of storytelling and myth making about a group of people and I think that's in some ways what the um, you know the, the the show is about at a level of these people who were brought together in a studio study group under false pretenses become interconnected and interwoven in these ways and sometimes the narrativization is on this game that's just about the kind of plot and drama of these characters and then sometimes there's the layers of the other types of stories that we tell in pop culture are woven through that and, and twisted so is that what the community is the yeah. community is like the community of narrative the community of mutual yeah. storytelling yeah, 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 yeah. all the different things that we say to each yeah. other things yeah. like like that. Yeah, I, I was actually going to say, you know, in the beginning when the, when the question, and, and this this actually beckons this in a sort of methodological level as well, is that um, it, it kind of harkens to my favorite thing to bring up in these podcasts, which is Godelian mathematics, right? It's so like, <laughs> what, once you, you know, can't so, we do my favorite thing on our anniversary? <laughs> <laughs> Continue, it's fine. I thought you loved me dissecting no. lemma. <laughs> Go for it, go for it. <laughs> so, so Gödel, uh, you know, sort of threw a monkey wrench into the progression of modern mathematics around the turn of, of the 20th century, and, and the method by which he did this invoked uh, this sort of, uh, this method of self-reference, and, and, and basically said that, you know, you can, you can either, you can both break mathematics, or at least the trajectory at which most of the established mathematicians thought that it was going on, but also expand the power to do things mathematical by taking an entity that, that you know, taking the, a statement, taking a theorem or whatnot, and have that theorem refer back to itself. Right. And then that, that, that basically becomes an engine of like continual self-reference. Mm-hmm. So, so the TV show can draw on you know, source material to a certain extent 
And then when it basically runs out of that fuel, can just start referring back to itself. And if it's clever enough in doing that. And the problem, of course, I think is that as, as most TV shows get popular, they inevitably start doing this anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I feel like that's often the transition at which a show stops being as, really creative and entertaining. As right? Godel called it, the season 20 Simpsons problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or the Pikachuification of narrative. <laughs> I believe he originally called it the Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, not because of the Friends thing, but he really hated this one bitch at the Institute for Advanced Study. Um, no, no, yeah, exactly. Right, right. There, there's, a point, there's a point where, where the show, the show had been about something that had a creative, fresh view about it, mm-hmm. and in order to make it, you know, an actual likable piece of literature, you had to build these these interesting characters, and they had to have relationships with one another, and eventually the show just begins being about that. And if you're not adept at writing that, then you completely lose what was fresh about the voice in the beginning, and it just becomes, mm-hmm. you know, when are they going to get together? Mm-hmm. Or, it's so boring now that they've gotten together. Mm-hmm. Or, can't they get that third guy in? What, what inter- one, <laughs> one interesting thing to bring up about shows like this is that one of the elements that affects this kind of mechanism is how long you've been watching it, right? Like, yeah. like it's possible that when they started Community, they were thinking about it like this. I'm just, I'm yeah, just thinking sure, this yeah. up. Like, for example, I'm thinking about our Achievement Unlocked show, yeah. which was the show that Ryan and, and Cognac and myself uh, worked on uh, about video games, video game improv show. We performed at Geek Week, performed at Boston Comic Con. On Wednesday, we performed it as the third set of the night, uh, the third, the third performance of our set and on Thursday we performed it as the first performance in our set and the performances felt a little bit different mm-hmm. but the positioning in the set is what made a huge difference in the way that it was interpreted by the audience uh, and this had to do mostly with the energy levels that they were expecting out of the blocks the kinds of suggestions that they gave were different uh, and it sort of translated into like the set which was first ended up having more ex- expositional quality uh, and I think both, and that's a, a combination of how the performers in the audience viewed it. There was more explanation of what was happening, whereas because we were third, it felt like we were already going. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's like it feels like a pattern, both because it's in there and they're making it a pattern, but also because we've seen it enough times that we identify that it's a pattern. Right, right. So we interpret that structure naturally, having seen it so many yeah. times before. So like, is the pilot of a TV show self-referential in a way that we won't know until we see the other times that it tries the same thing? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, like, um, what's a good example of a pilot that's very? The pilot to Breaking Bad is very self-referential. It basically is like a microcosm of the entire like central like problems and mm. ideas of the of the show and in fact starts in medias race right and is like this is what is going to happen right right we're going to tell you what is going to happen now we're going to back and show you what's going to happen and then the characters are going to go back in other scenes and they're going to think about what happened and then they're going to agonize over what happened and then they're going to like re-traumatize themselves in the same manner that they did previously right. like, likewise like, likewise the pilot episode of the shield yeah which which sets yes. up which sets up the conflict that is sort of is sort of dropped during later episodes and later seasons, but is never entirely absent, and of course becomes critically important in the final season. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like the sh- shows also might have an incentive to reference themselves in the first season to kind of create a really strong impression of what they're about, right? And to reinforce it, it's almost cognitive to try to like drill that memory into your brain. Definitely, you have to get through the leather mask though, which is tough. It yeah. protects you. <laughs> if you had a lithium tipped blade, you'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? the law and order parts of the show. Oh, did you have something, Mark? No, I, well, I, before we get too far away from it, um, we brought up an interesting uh, b- b- 
the point earlier that I want to uh, to fully unravel, um, which is that you know we talked about uh, in Abed's imagination that you know he imagines uh, the claymation episode in his mind. So there's those sort of uh, you know uh, you know pop culture references that happen explicitly in that mind space. But then we have all the other things like the Law and Order episode or the paintball war episodes and all various other uh, pop culture references. And that starts to make me wonder, like, well, are those things also happening in Abed's mind? Right, as well? there's a difference. And, like, and, yeah, and, and that, like you know, we're being presented that as like a sort of like you know, air quotes. It's, it's, what is that? It's the same fire, like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, I mean, Saint elsewhere, you mean? Right? Saint elsewhere. Yeah. But Saint elsewhere, yeah. yeah. that's like Demi Moore is crying because right. he's got cocaine yes. addiction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's what I meant. Is it using like the theme of, of, of a community is going to be like way more bitch in a karaoke song than the actual community itself? <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the idea, the idea that you're talking about is like the kind of ontological status within the narrative. That mm-hmm. right? That is to say, are we? What? How many lenses down? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, are are we? And sometimes that's sometimes that, that's made explicit, and sometimes it isn't made explicit. And we have to like we have to sort of accept. And and the thing. Um, I, I think the strength of community a lot of the time is that they they don't talk down to the audience. That is to say, they don't ha- they don't feel like they have to explain. Uh, where you're standing, kind of like the first season of The Wire, drink, because uh, in that uh, in that you're thrown you're thrown into this um, you're thrown into this world uh, without a lot of concessions to you knowing who the players are, what their shared history is, uh, what the the kind of ins and outs of the language that they speak to each other uh, are. And, um, you know, and I, I mean, I think that, like, broadly we can distinguish between two kinds of entertainment. At one, the, over, the uh, non-overthinking it kind, where they're kind of at pains at every second to tell you what's happening. A good example would be Coach, which we previously <laughs> discussed as a great gift, where the main character is the coach. Right. And you see him in his office as he goes about his day, like, planning the football game that is going to happen. But you'll find, I mean, like, you'll find in a lot of our dramas that after the second act break, there is, like, a mini encapsulated summary of yeah. the plot so far. But characters will frequently say to one another, Look, man, you're my partner. I've known you for 25 years. <laughs> I was your best man at your second wedding. You know, things that no one would ever actually say to one Right, which is horrifically bad writing when characters <laughs> remind one another of things that are well known to them both. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You used to say this to me all the time when we were back in college together. <laughs> because we were college friends. Matt, you got to be careful about saying that. Dave, see, careful about saying that to Matt because of the horrible rages that it makes him fly into, where he has to pull the swords off of the wall and go into a crazy kung fu. I'm flying into one of my rages. <laughs> um, right, but then there's the there, then there's the kind of overthinking the the overthinking uh, it um, patron shows. You know what I mean? The overthinkable shows, if you will, where like there isn't a lot of um, there isn't a lot of need to kind of explain to you know connect the dots and and the audience is trusted to do that and i think that that's one of the things with the kind of different ontological statuses of the the episodes of community that you part of your suspension of disbelief is that you're willing to kind of move up and down levels of abstraction in your in your appreciation of the show and sometimes operate on more than one at once 
And there, there's an internal tension in the show itself, no doubt, between the various collaborators, because I bet that Craig T. Nelson thinks that the coach is tremendously complex and has all sorts of internal workings, right? And because of the simplicity of the show, he really has an opportunity to dwell on it, right? And he has his wife and his kids and his job. And, like, I, I, you know, he, he probably goes to work, like, a lot of focus, a lot of intensity on the kind of layering of his character, whereas the, the show itself is very simple. Whereas if you play, you know, like, Willie Loman. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was going to say if you play the if you're if you're Omar on the in the Community episode playing the biology teacher, you have like no responsibility to communicate complexity at all because the show is so freaking complex. All you can do is say your lines, and everybody's going to think you're. Oh awesome. yeah, exactly. What, what you're saying is that a podcast got to have a code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, can we refer to the first types of shows, the shows that don't really, you know, expect you to get anything, as the risotto shows, <laughs> and, and the ones that that want to have you as an intellectual collaborator, as the fried chickens, right? As the yeah, the fried chickens of television. I just love how Jordan is such a powerful absence on the show. <laughs> for, for people who haven't listened as long, Jordan is the risotto man. He, he's the risottoist. Yes, and, and like for years, friends of mine would tell me that was their favorite moment in the Overthinking a Podcast ever, which was when Jordan had to leave the show just to stir his risotto. <laughs> and he never came back. No, he? he never came back because risotto is kind of consuming, but it also speaks to kind of like an involvement with your own life that is at odds with our involvement in fictional fantasy scapes. I always like to think that, that Jordan as the risottoist is, is a crime fighter who goes by that name. You know, turn on the risotto signal. Sort of like an amorphous cloud-shaped thing. Is that as, he slowly... Kills his villains. He fries fries them briefly first, and then he drowns them. Speaking of absent overthinkers, as we as we pour one out onto Fenzel's rug for (laughs) for just an accident. Very exciting. uh, For other overthinkers, we we also remember overthinkers that are not here. We we uh, salute you, Belinky. One for me and one for my homies. We salute you, uh, Shayna. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, you will mourn us till you join us, <laughs> which will be a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's far away, and we'd love to see her definitely. And I mean, all the other people who've been on our podcast, and I know Tim is, is you know, I miss Tim, and we miss Josh, and we miss, uh, you know, Natalie back in the day, right? And like Andre writing first for a while, and like you know, Uncle Tim. Now, the more I mention, the worse the one person I forget is going to feel. Right. (laughs) You've accidentally stumbled into an Oscars acceptance speech, Pete. Oh, that's good. I also like to thank my agent. Let's go back to community. Oh, sorry. I mean... Josh McNeil. Well, yeah, we said, we said Josh. <laughs> oh, okay, I said Josh McNeil. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's get back to community because we started to talk about, you know, well, the fact that the, you know, this is a Law and Order parody. We haven't talked about, like, well, why Law and Order, right? Yeah. Um, well, it's NBC, well, so they own the rights. <laughs> that's what, well, yeah, that's one. And also, you can have totally they have a good CIA. relationship. They can kind of go through the corporate sort of parent to have a good relationship with Dick Wolf, who probably controls some of that IP. But the um, yeah, but I I think also Law and Order is emblematic of a certain type of formulaic television show, right? Yeah. The Community absolutely is not mm-hmm. right. And so by doing Law and Order, the 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 kind of most non procedural of television shows is is kind of linking up with the most procedural of television shows. There's also something fascinating that struck me at the point where Troy and Abed are giving, I believe, Starburns his non-Miranda warning, where they say, like... like Toby, they're giving it to Toby, yeah. Or it's, it's, it's to Toby. Is that his um, name? 
Uh, no, Todd, 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 sorry. Todd, Todd. Todd. Yeah, yeah, to Todd. Um, sorry, his name is Toby. <laughs> no, it's that's a, there's there's a reference is that, that like that Fight Club. Right? That's a Roots reference. Yeah, that's for uh, Roots. Uh, <laughs> anyway, wow. um, like, in death, we all have a name. <laughs> well, and, and you know, they, they they kind of recite the the tropes of the Miranda Warning, but in a way that that indicate they're not police officers. They're not actually agents of the state at all. And the whole this whole Law and Order investigation is them trying to find out who destroyed their yam. And so it's a it's entirely privately motivated, right? It's that they're not, even though they are playing the roles that in Law and Order are played by um, the agents of the state, of the, the criminal prosecutors and um, and detectives. Um, they are all they are looking out for is themselves, and they're entirely motivated by by self interest, but but playing out like a legitimacy of uh, of the public sphere, which I think is like interesting, and I think within the show shows like this like self centered clique. Like you know, even though they are like a small set of students at this entire community college, they are the only people that matter. Um, and, and I think like if all of a sudden Zach Zach Morris started doing purges, yeah. like, he's, he's like let's start some walk, you know. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, the the other thing that they are is a proxy for the reader, right? That is to say, there's there's a body of literary criticism that treats. Uh, that treats reading, that treats the hermeneutics of interpreting a text as a kind of detection, right? That is often kind of figured, it's often kind of mediated in a text through metaphors of seeing and sight. Like there are, there are Sherlock Holmes stories where Holmes says to Watson, like, and the one I'm thinking of is the speckled band yeah. where the, uh, the snake comes Spoilers. down. Where, spoiler, yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert, the snake comes down like the lamp cord and he, you know, hits it with his umbrella and says, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? You know, and the idea is that you you, you see something, and in a in an episode of Law and Order, there's almost a uh, there's almost a, a sort of storyboard that's created with like the crime scene photographs that are shown uh, that are sort of shown in sequence to to create uh, a narrative, which is a you know kind of a model of of film narrative, you know what I mean, of a bunch of still images adding up mm-hmm. to something more, adding up to a story. Um, so like in so kind of in becoming in becoming detectives, they become. Uh, readers of their own experience, you know what I mean? Free interpreters of themselves, mm. if you will. Right. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I really liked about this episode was they really forced the Law & Order style of banter, which when you watch Law & Order, I, I'm not necessarily as aware of how forced it is. Like the way that they're always snapping. It's not, it doesn't feel as forced to say like an Aaron Sorkin banter where they're like walking through five different rooms and the camera is following them and eight different things are happening and they're never like, whoa, whoa, watch out for that cord. You know, like they never stop. It's just like boom, boom, boom. But in Law and Order, there's like attention to it. Now, when you watch, when I watch Community as a relatively new community viewer, I'm very conscious of the banter level and of like the pacing of the banter. And they managed to do the Law and Order banter in a way that made me very conscious of it too. And it almost felt like they, to me, it felt like they were saying, we're not the only people who are affecting a dialogue style. Mm-hmm. Look at this other dialogue style. You know, look how amusing it is, even though it's been on for bazillion years. 200, in fact. I think they're, they're heading up to their leather mask anniversary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and they're, of course, also referencing not just the, you know, not just the narrative style and the dialogue style, but also the visual style as well. They, yeah. From the sort of shaky handheld camera that opens the show to the, you know, the, the discovery of the body, which is one of the most common law and order tropes, to the to the way the courtroom scene in Professor Kane's biology classroom was staged with the sort of over-the-head shot of the of the judge's bench, you know, the, the two-shot of the prosecution table, the two-shot of the defense table, etc. Uh, all, all very consciously aping law and order camera work, which which I mean which takes some which takes some conscious doing, which takes a choice, and, and it takes awareness of the 
It takes awareness of the law and order cinematography and a willingness to set that up. Can we also talk about one of the most important law law and order uh, mechanisms, which is the... um... Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. The sound effect, and then like you know, the very strict like this scene is over, and now we're going to. Well, what is, I mean, what is that supposed to be? I mean, it's evocative of like a gavel hitting. It's or a gavel, a jail cell. I think yeah. it's supposed to be a jail cell. I've, I've seen in trivia, it's actually a combination of several noises, yes. including like things being hammered, a jail cell being closed, apparently monks chanting as well. It's hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on Good there. God, but it's meant. It's I mean, like it's meant to evoke. It's meant to evoke a certain. You know what I mean? A certain thing. I think the way that. that community undercuts it in this case is is through the pacing of the scenes which being a half hour comedy and going through maybe double the number of scenes that they have in the law and order that doink doink noise comes back so many times that it has a similar alienating effect to the alienating effect that people Pete was talking about kind of revealing the artifice of the the banter in the writing I think what's I, I want to go back to uh, Ryan's ideas about um, about law and order I, what I really liked about the shows in some ways I feel this is real, like the narratives of Law and Order and shows like CSI are some of the like the most popular narratives about law and or about law and order in general. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, the popular, like the everyone knows what Miranda rights are because of shows like this. And it's so. And what I find interesting about the show, and I think the juxtaposition of the fake Miranda rights and sort of stressing continuously that they actually aren't agents of the state and they actually have no legitimacy as, you know, enforcement agents is that they trust the narratives of these shows more to lead them to a place of justice <laughs> than, than actual legal than actual institutions. Well, this directly plays out in the closing scene, right? Like, they went out over an actual sitting member of the U.S. military. Are you a standing member of the U.S. <laughs> Michael Ironside. Michael, oh, yeah, Captain okay. USS Ironside. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, it's Michael Captain. Frickin Ironside. Yeah, <laughs> though he's not a he's not a captain. He's like a lieutenant colonel or something like that. I forget yeah. it was rank in the community thing. And he just, he, he's got a closet with all the different ranks uniforms yeah. laid out, and they just let him take whatever he wants. Because he's Michael Ironside. To jump back to the to the Indian theater we referenced earlier, it's almost as if some sort of spirit of, of ju- legal justice kind of presides over these ex- these performative experiences where the audience is being provoked by the performers into feeling a sense of justiceness. And that is sound is like the abstract sound of justiceness of like the orderliness of things. That's a, I mean, that's a re- Machina, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a really that's a really good point. And I mean, like in in you know over the last what five years, you've read articles about like the CSI effect, right? Which is juries expecting more complicated forensic evidence yeah. than actual uh, crime scene investigators are really able to produce because of constraints of time and money, um, but expecting it because they sort of see it on CSI, where every case is given a like a multi tens of millions of dollars sort of forensic science. Well, and in every case, there's so much semen and blood left behind. And everyone sheds like clumps of hair all over the rug. Uh, the, yeah, exactly. And they like they vacuum up yeah. the whole th- place and, and do it. Actually, Belinky had a joke once where he called uh, Law and Order SVU the semen victims unit. <laughs> the idea always, it always it always really comes down to a sample of of um, of semen. But uh, let me tell you, fighting parka tickets not nearly as effective. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. In those times where it is, you don't want to tell people about those times. <laughs> gong, gong! Anyway. Well, kind, of, kind of one of the things that community does in kind of referencing a sense of, of justice is they're in kind of trusting 
or, or in kind of highlighting the way that we trust that a certain kind of narrative can lead us to a sense of justiceness is, is kind of highlighting the ways in which we sort of expect a, a sense of justiceness and in which our kind of sense of actual justice, in which our sense of sort of adequate procedure or, you know, the rule of law is, is perverted somehow, right, uh, by a sense of justiceness to, into something that, like, the idea that, a, that an actual legal trial should somehow feel satisfying, right, um, is, uh, is simplistic somehow. The idea that the, that the proper outcome of, of actual legal procedure should be an affective response in me that I am uh, somehow satiated, yeah. right? Like by, the, the, by the, what is the going revelation on. of fundamental truths yeah. and, and, and yeah. the, uh, the repair right. of it. Right, which is, which is actually like Aristotle's idea about the function of drama, yeah. right? <laughs> right? That is to say that I should like have my, my uh, pure and fitty, my, <laughs> my, uh, my fear and pity purged right by the catharsis of the the tragedy and yeah. and speaking to the CSI effect that to reference back law and order is also something that rarely happens in the American justice system I think something like 90% of all criminal cases that are brought up are are pled out before they even see a, a, a formal yeah. criminal trial which is why I loved the pinky swear because I felt <laughs> it was like honest I felt like it was a very close uh, parallel to actual like plea bargaining they actually explicitly <laughs> set it up as like a plea bargain yeah. in which they pinky squared and they actually even laid out the entire sort of actual tension that occurs of you know the testimony of those who pinky swear is not trustworthy but the testimony of those who do not yeah. is, is legitimate I just I really loved how they in some ways they like dug a little even they went a little legal there yeah. and it makes me think of all those message board threads I've read where there's been like a controversial legal case right and like let's say there's been a giant indictment handed down by a grand jury and a judge and they've there's been a massive years long investigation and they bring it all to trial and like and if the, if the result is somewhat unsatisfying someone will be like where's the due process <laughs> you know like where's the justice you know like where's the system the man, the system is failing. Like these people got no say, and it's like these people had like a hundred thousand dollars worth of lawyer that was like sprinkled like like uh, uh, what's like, like Asiago, pa- Asiago like, cheese, like Parmesan on a risotto. <laughs> yeah, I was going to try to up the ante go with the Asiago because it's classier. As opposed to the breading on a fried chicken. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, I've been using Asiago cheese. Oh, <laughs> that's why it's so bad. Uh, well, okay. So uh, before we close. We we have a few comments. Uh, we put out the word on Twitter uh, that we are recording the 200th podcast now. Uh, and are there questions for the panel? Uh, panel, any comments regarding the ongoing playoffs? I prefer the play-ons. <laughs> panel, <Same>. how, <laughs> how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Uh, 32.9, but I will not tell you the units. <laughs> uh, do any of you watch My Little Pony Friendship is Magic? Any thoughts on bronies in general? We actually have several brony articles, or so, actually, so sorry, several My Little Pony Friendship is Magic articles written by bronies on our website. Please check them out, overthinking.com. Thank you, and uh, not really a question, but a request. Hug it out with Natalie and Shayna. Bring back the girls. The podcast needs Look, them. 
would come down, you come down to Herald Night Improv Boston where Natalie and I perform on the same stage like most weeks. Uh, Natalie's doing great. She's, she's doing great. I see her all the time. Uh, she's not estranged. She just doesn't have the time on Sundays anymore. Uh, Shayna, on the other hand, is on the run from the law, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, She's like, she's, she's allegedly uh, on the run. From she's the alleged law. <laughs> she's, uh, she's like, what, she's like the renegade, Lorenzo Lamas, right? Like she's got the. She's wandering the earth like Kane. Yeah. You know? That's right, that's right, that's right. We wish she would come home, but, uh, yeah, Shana, we should be serious. Shayna has had some professional success recently in her own. Oh, I yeah, know, of course, of in course, her own personal writing, writing career, and so she's very busy writing yeah. uh, for herself. And hopefully, we'll get a chance to promote some of her stuff to you guys when we have some some final product. It, it would, yeah, it would be it would be wonderful um, yeah. if we were uh, <laughs> able to do that. Nothing. Th- that was the end. Uh, yeah. So thank you to the four to the our four Twitter followers who uh, who tweeted us uh, for that. I actually we have more listener feedback, and it's something that kind of going forward we we resolve. Though I'm not quite willing to pinky swear to make it uh, a more regular part of the show, so that uh, your voice becomes one of the voices uh, that's a little better represented on the podcast, not just the eight people sitting here around the table eating barbecue from Red Bones uh, and watching uh, watching Community together. Uh, you so um, here's to another. Another 200 episodes, guys. Yay. 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 We get two leather face masks. <laughs> <laughs> Tetralithium. <laughs> and, uh, and thank you very much for, for listening. Whether you've stuck with us just for one episode or whether you're a member of the Leather Face Mask Club. <laughs> having Actually... Please, please don't write us if you're. No, <laughs> right, yeah. Able to understand a word you yeah. say. <laughs> why don't we? Why don't we? Why, why don't we? <laughs> Bane, I didn't know you were on this podcast. Um, <laughs> talking, talking unintelligibly, uh, talking unintelligibly to us. No, let's call it the Plasma Club. The people who have yeah. listened to all 200 episodes, plus special supplements like the Shield supplement, the Terminator. Sarah Connor Chronicles supplement, the original Sex Slice of Teenagers supplement that became the TFT podcast, the Lost supplement. Uh, you have to go back and, and listen to all of those back to episode one uh, called Salute Your Shorts, which is a like in, an incredibly detailed uh, look at the 2008 Oscar nominated uh, live action short films. <laughs> um, you can do that and, uh, you know, uh, celebrate with us this three years and 31 weeks. Plus or minus. Plus or minus uh, of continuous podcasting. If you'd like to uh, contact us, you can email us at podcasting, uh, podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can uh, Twitter us at overthinkingit. You can call 203-285-6401 or you can join the great community of of overthinkers who leave comments on the show notes of every episode and make this worth doing for us. Like, I, I sorry, I hate to wax like maudlin and sentimental, but this is this like this show feels so good to do because we've built up such a great community of listeners and commenters and overthinkers the whole world over. From uh, in, I, I mean, I've been looking uh, at the. Um, at the download statistics in like every country except Libya, we have you know. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! You're saying that North Korea? We have it? North Korea? No, and, and North Korea. We don't get Ugh, statistics don't, reported. Every country North. we officially recognize. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, even Antarctica, I think there have been a couple of downloads right. uh, or overthinking. My fellow science buddies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or penguins or, or supervillains. <laughs> As I said, my fellow. <laughs> so from Antarctica to uh, to Greenland. 
Greenland and every place in between on every hemisphere and every continent. Join us next week uh, on the podcast. And until then, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Fanfic for you, the Wilhelm scream, the Law and Order sound. When will those two get together? <laughs> <laughs> this is we're awesome. <laughs> this is quality audio. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't because they're not here. They don't realize that like the people are holding their smartphones up to the microphone. No, I, I think they're gonna get that. <laughs>